So today we're talking about making a difference in business. That's the realm we're going to talk about. <clears throat> and here's the theme for today's sermon. Look at it on, this, on the screen here. Business should be viewed as a place to worship God through the area of our calling. We can worship Him by using our gifts and talents and resources to build His kingdom. I think, this might surprise you, but I believe that the greatest revival going on in America today for Jesus Christ is happening in the business place. Where business leaders are deciding that they're going to be kingdom oriented, that the kingdom of God will be their focus, and they're asking God to help them take their business and change the world so that his kingdom could come and his will would be done. The theme of the New Testament, and really the theme of the Bible, is the kingdom of God. I really feel like there's a problem when we think of ministry as something like I'm doing, oh, he's in the ministry. Because really, if you're thinking kingdom of God, and we're all oriented towards that, you you know, pray my kingdom come, my will be done, that's what it says in the Bible. Kingdom of God, we're all ministers. I find it interesting that often people who are leaders or owners of business uh, are those who have such great hearts for God and sometimes they'll say, well, I wonder if I should go in the ministry and become a pastor because they love Jesus so much. And, uh, <clears throat> well, that's, it's a noble calling and, and uh, you know, I, there, there's a lot of people happy to do it, but, man, you can make such a difference right where you are and this is where a great revival's happening in America. So I want to talk about that today and give these business leaders, really, really, there are four points that work for every believer in all of our lives, but I'm going to orient it and slant it towards business today because it's all through the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd come by the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to hearts. You're raising women and men up to be great business persons for you. You're doing something, Lord, to change our nation, to reach this world through your servants. I pray you'd encourage their hearts today and put courage in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So four things that will make a difference. If you're going to make a difference in in this business world, the first thing is you must understand that you are the steward and not the owner of the business. Luke 16 talks about a steward, and it's kind of an old word, but I went with the the New King James because I like the word steward. It it, it makes sense. It explains it a little better than some of the other translations. There was a certain rich man, this is Jesus talking, who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So a steward that's wasting the master's goods. He called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be my steward. So what is a steward? Excuse me. Here's the definition. In the Bible, a steward is a person who has full charge of his master's affairs. And he can use them for his own advantage if he chooses. Or she chooses. But they will be fully accountable when the owner comes back. So the steward is given charge of the master's possessions, but will be held fully accountable when they meet the master and he comes back. Some would say, well, man, I, I built this business. I use my gifts and my talents, and it's just been a ton of hard work, and I sacrifice, and, and, and you know, this is mine. <clears throat> well, interesting in the word, even the ability to make money, the Bible says, comes from God. That's a gifting that he gives. Deuteronomy 8.18, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So God even gives that. Is your 
company yours or is that business his? Are you a steward for him? One guy that got it right was named Marion Wade. Have you heard of Service Master, a company? If you Google Service Master, there's six different uh, uh, ways that they spread their businesses around the world, including Mary Maid and, and, uh, and clean up services for commercial properties. Service Master is one word, the company, and Master is with a capital M, so Service Master. And in 1929, Marion Wade started this company as a moth proofing company. You just helping in the closet there, I guess. The firm's name, Service Master, was chosen to remind all the employees that they're serving the Master, Jesus Christ. They still have this name today. His vision, Wade is gone, the one who started that business, um, Service Master, that his vision still remains. In 1973, the Service Master company articulated four company objectives, and here they are. They still have them today. This, this, this worldwide company. To honor God in all we do. To help people develop. To pursue excellence. And to grow profitably. Profit's okay when you're in business. Because you can't give a man or a woman of God too much money. That is my conviction. Because if they're kingdom oriented, it will go towards his causes. If they're completely his. In 81, still talking about service master, a new um, president was elected, William Pollard. He was the, uh, an evangelical who chaired the board of Wheaton College. And the firm, after he was elected to service master, the firm continued to grow, and by 1985, it had surpassed $1 billion in revenue. The service master, serving the master. Who really owns the business? This is, a, this is a question for all of us. Who, who owns your house? Who owns your car? Well, if we're thinking right, we're stewards of everything that's in our hands. I tell a story about my kids, and I need to qualify it for a moment by saying they're both very generous givers, because this is not going to make them look that good, and they're scared right now as they hear this story. <laughs> when they were young teenagers, we had a little ritual where we'd go every Sunday night to McDonald's, and we'd just get few little snacks and we'd sit around the table and just laugh and have fun. And both of my kids, who are in their 20s now, both of them actually did this to me at one point or another. So I, you know, I'm just at this, this stage in life getting there where I, I don't want to get a ton of fries, but so I don't order them. But I might want one or two, you, you know, just to, just to taste it. And so they'd get their fries, my kids, and they'd set them on the table. And I remember Candace was having, she loves fries and lots of salt on those hot McDonald's fries. Those are, those are really good, those McDonald's fries. And so I, I just saw them looking good there. So I just reached out and grabbed a couple, and she slapped my hand. She's like 13, you know, I'm going, hey, I just want a couple. She goes, those are mine. Get your own. You know who bought these, Right? You know I could stop buying these, right? And my son did it at another point as well. Well, they're very generous people, but here's the point of that, of that illustration. Sometimes we're like that with God. He's given us what we have, and he, and he asks for it to go somewhere. We go, hey, this is mine. And God's going, oh, really? This is yours? Yeah. Get your own. Well, you know I gave that to you, right? You know I gave it to you, right? 
And when he wants something back, sometimes we act like he doesn't really deserve it or shouldn't have it. And he's the giver of all good gifts, the Bible says. I like what John Wesley said. When the possessor of heaven and earth brought into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as the owner, but as steward. Second thought today. If you're going to make a difference in business, you're going to have to be a great example as a follower of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.12, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And neighbors in the Bible is not, is not just the person who lives next door, but the people you interact with every day. So that would include the workplace. Then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. So what's this mean? Unlike other people of power in the world, the people of Christ do not demand that others serve them and they don't have demeaning natures. Here's what we'll need to be if we're going to impact this world. We'll need to be humble because Jesus was humble. Honest. If we're full of integrity, It matters to us to get it right, to be fair. We'll need to be pure and caring people, caring for others, concerned about what's going on with them. Now, many of you have worked for employees that don't feel that, you don't get those feelings that they care when you're with them. And it's a hard place to work. But when the people of God, when the stewards of his businesses operate They should operate in this way. Now, this isn't a company. It's a large church that I'm about to talk about, but they did have 100 employees. And I want to illustrate something for you that I thought was magnificent. A great leader named Derry Northrup, who's a pastor of this church of about 6,000 in Fort Collins, Colorado, and he's spoken here before a couple times. I don't know if you remember Derry, but just just a wonderful man of God. He was giving me a tour. I was there in Colorado, and he was walking me around. They have just amazing facilities there. And uh, as we were going up a staircase, there was a maintenance person that was working on the staircase and vacuuming. And uh, Derry stopped and smiled and called him by name and gave him this funny handshake. And, and, he, and he stopped the whole, there were three or four of us, he stopped taking us up and he said, I want you guys to know this guy. And he called his name. And he said, let me tell you what Jesus has done. And he said, well, why don't you tell him? So he lets this guy tell us that he had been in drugs and that he'd been delivered and and Jesus was the Lord of his life. And Derry said, man, I love this guy. And he's hugging this guy. And then he told me a couple good things about him, told us. And he said, show him your tattoo. So he peels back his, just the big Jesus thing on his arm, you know. And, and, and Derry hugged him and we walked off and that was it. But here's the deal. Do you know what he was saying? Do you know the culture that he's created in that place among those 100 people that are employed there? Everybody matters. Everybody's important. I know your name. Jesus knows your name. I care about you. He cares even more. We love you. And when that starts to happen, there's a culture that is different than a lot of other places of business. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I had this under a glass in my desk for about five years. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. By deeds done in humility that comes 
from wisdom. That we would live that life that people could see Jesus Christ in us. Third thought now, if you're going to make a difference in the business world, you're going to have to come out of the closet. Everybody else has. It's time for the Christians to come out now. Yeah. <clears throat> don't, don't be afraid to be seen as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things we can do, let me just, just some real practical things here. One of the things we can do is we can be people who pray about all the decisions in, in this business that we're a steward of. We can pray for the employees. Uh, we can pray with the employees at times. You say, how do you do that? Well, here's an example. This guy's really great. I just wanted you to hear from him. He's in the church here. He's really great at reaching out. And listen to some of the things that, uh, that he's learned. So when I was first starting in practice, one of my friends suggested that I start to share Jesus with patients. And I have to say, I was scared spitless. I was new in practice, not very many patients. Uh, they could fire me at will. And it was clearly a, a, a God idea, but it wasn't necessarily a good idea to me. And, and he said, why don't you start slow? Why don't you just like put a Bible out and wait for opportunities? Well. Opportunities present themselves in life, and, 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 and when people are coming with health concerns, they have anxieties, and they're concerned all the time, and, and so you can really direct them to the Prince of Peace, and, and just sort of starting out with baby steps, I would direct people to Jesus, and, and I found that people weren't offended, that people received it, that people responded. So life happens, and opportunities will present themselves, and if you will seize those God-given opportunities, and say, can I pray with you? Or if you don't feel comfortable with that quite yet, say, can I pray for you later? And then pray later. And then when you see them the next time, ask them how things have gone. Say, I was praying for you. How has that gone? People are attracted to Jesus when they see that in you. So when you care about people, the Spirit of the Lord leads you, and you can just have discernment in moments to say, hey, can I, can I help you with that by praying? For, for instance... When, when he says life happens, this is what he means. Divorce happens to people. Disease, uh, difficulty, injury. Um, relationships are broken. Jobs are lost. And in moments like that where we've cared about people along the way, uh, and we say, can I pray with you about that? Now, you may not say that in every situation. I'm not sure Michael does. But to be led of the Lord, it rarely... When you share that kind of concern, will people say no? But if they do, we can be cool with that, right? Say, well, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. I just want you to know that um, because I know you're going through a tough time. ConocoPhillips, former CEO, it's a major company in America. The CEO is Archie Dunham. And by the way, the examples that I'm going to share along the way here through these business CEOs came from a survey of, of 100 top CEOs in America that are believers. And um, it's a book by Michael Lindsay called Halls of Power. So I want to make mention of that. That's the source for some of the stuff that you're seeing today. But here's what this CEO said when speaking of prayer uh, the, and praying about uh, th this business and, and being a steward. Their decisions will maybe be closer to what God would want instead of what man would want. So we not only pray for people, but we pray for the direction of the business. And God would lead us not towards what man would want, but more towards what he would want. 
I saw one lady, a CEO, <clears throat> said, I pray around the boardroom table when we're having meetings. I'm saying, Lord, give me wisdom. What do you feel we should do here? And I'm trying to be led by him even in those moments when we're trying to choose a direction. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Well, that everything would include business, wouldn't it? It would include those important decisions in life. Have you heard of Wayne Huizinga Jr.? <clears throat> this is a man who owned three, listen now, three Fortune 500 companies he built. Wayne Huizinga. He owned three professional sports teams, uh, and one of them was the Miami Dolphins, two other teams in Florida that he owned. And here's what Huizinga said. He said, I pray for our employees almost every day. He prays for his employees almost every day. And the way I treat people is shaped by my relationship with Christ and by how I'm called to act. At the start of one of his meetings with a potential financier, he offered, uh, uh, he was going to offer up a prayer, which he did customarily. And this is a guy in the real world, man. And his chief financial officer cautioned him and said, uh, Wayne, there's a banker from Israel here and, and he might be put off by public prayer about Jesus. In Jesus' name. And Huizinga thought about it, but he, he just felt led that he should pray in the usual manner, his usual manner. And afterward, that Jewish banker came up to him, approached him to say how much he appreciated that public expression of his faith and it made him feel comfortable to be working with him. Now, I'm not saying that'll be the result when you do these things all the time because, you know, somebody could get offended. That, that could be true in a reality. But I am saying that overall, we need to stop being so afraid. For instance, um, the Spirit of God will lead us. That's what the Bible says. The children of God, it says in Romans, are led by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God leads us. He'll give us impressions and, and directions that we should go in moments like these. And if, if God has said, I don't want you to be ashamed, we saw that verse earlier, and if he said, I want you to be a light that's set on a hill, and if he said that I want you to love your neighbor, then all these things come together in the business world and the business place as well. Which means at times he'll speak something to you and give you a distinct impression to care, pray, or share with someone. Well, if you've already made a decision that you will never do that because you don't want to offend anyone, Jesus is a stumbling block to the whole world, the Bible tells us, to many in this world. And if you decide, I'm not ever going to share that because someone might be offended, then the Holy Spirit will never even have to speak to you. You won't even be a candidate for the direction that the Spirit of the Lord would want because you're not even open to it. And what I'm saying is, I'm not telling you everything to do, but what I'm saying is, as the people of God, no matter where we are, and yes, in this business realm, we have to be public with our faith. We're not ashamed, and we can be led, we can be sensitive and caring, we're not ramming it down anybody's throat, I'm not talking about that, but we're not afraid to come out of the closet. Here's some creative ways to share your faith in Christ, and that's what you need to do if you're in the business place. Luke 9.21, or 9.26, here it is rather, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Whoa, so Jesus says, if you're ashamed of him, he'll, the Father will be ashamed of you. Some people would think that's a little too harsh to read, but I try to read all the Bible, not just the parts that are the easy parts. 
Because if Jesus said it, it's in the word of God, it's true. So in that survey that Michael Lindsay did of these Christian CEOs, here's some of the things and ways that they shared their faith, some, some tips for us. It was found that they, uh, many of them displayed books in prominent places in their offices and, and lobbies, like God is my CEO, the title of one, or the title of another, success uh, in business without losing your faith. And they said that this would often evoke questions from visitors, not so much from employees, but from visitors, from visitors rather. And, and it afforded a chance, some, several of them say, to, to share the gospel. Business leaders also shared uh, their faith by what they wore. Some of the ladies that were uh, uh, these business persons would wear a cross. And I know that doesn't necessarily mean that you have faith. People wear a cross who, who don't. But, but these ladies, it meant something. So somebody would ask them about it and then they would have a chance to share what it meant to them and a little bit about their faith. One office over... Uh, Seen Epcot at Walt Disney has a, an executive named Brad Rex, works for Disney. And he's placed several objects like this. He calls them launchers because they launch conversations, these things. And uh, they're designed to evoke questions that allow Rex to talk about the, the important role that faith plays in his life. Many executives displayed the Bible, not just books, but the Bible on the coffee table in the in, in, in the waiting room or, or on their desk or between chairs uh, in front of their, their desk. Quotations from scriptures were found in framed artwork in their offices and lobbies. And uh, they, they would even have paperweights rather that would have scripture on them. And while uh, these artifacts were often intended to evoke questions from newcomers, they also served as reminders, the executive said, to themselves about who they are and what they're here for. Brad Rex, back to this Disney guy at Epcot, talked about a two-hour time that he has with his employees periodically that he just calls conversations with. That's, that's all it is. And you can come in and ask any question to him, talk about life, talk about business. He, he goes wherever they want to go. And he says invariably he likes this format because they'll always come around to something like, well, why do you do it that way? And it always opens the door, their questions, the way they ask them, when they're asking about, you know, what was, why does that, why are we into that here? What, what does that mean for you? Or why did you choose that? He can go to issues of faith concerning the Bible and what Jesus means to him. And that's a Disney executive at Epcot. Inserting scriptures into their speeches was something that they often did. Mark Belton of General Mills said that he, uh, that when he talked, most of the folks, and when he shared scripture, they, they didn't know it was scripture, because he'd just give a line uh, that, that Jesus might have said, or actually I've heard it in presidential speeches, where they don't quote it as a scripture, but they'll insert a line from, from the Bible. And uh, most folks, he says, don't know it's scriptures, this is the General Mills executive, but the people who are Christians love to hear it. Wurzbacher from Coca-Cola says he attends a company Bible study as a way of signaling, rather this is a her, she attends a company Bible study as a way of signaling her allegiances and encouraging others at work that are believers. They need to feel encouraged. I can't go every Wednesday, she says, but every Wednesday that I'm there, I go. Archie Dunham 
of ConocoPhillips. For many years, uh, regularly attended church on Sunday when he worked for that company. Even when he was traveling, no matter where he was, Dubai, Singapore. And he said everybody found out that he went to church no matter what on Sunday, no matter where he was. And that was a witness to signal his faith as well. Jerry Miller from Texaco, uh, this is that oil and gas company, was known more for his faith by what he didn't do at times. That's what he said. Here's what he said. I didn't chase women. I didn't run around. I didn't do a lot of things that the other guys did. One incident stood out in his mind from Miller's career. While he was on a business trip, his colleagues took him to a place um, and he noticed before they got out of the car is one of those places where the women serve whatever they serve in their underwear. And everybody got out of the car, he says, and the general manager said to him, come on, let's go in. <clears throat> and Miller said, I don't go in those kinds of places. You know that. Go ahead, I'll sit here in the car. I'll be fine, I'll just get a newspaper. Well, they, they didn't. They got back in the car and went someplace else and were a little put off. But he said, when they got through eating, they took me back to the hotel, they dumped me off, and then they went out and did whatever they did. Now, even in moments like that, when you love people, when you care for people, when you live the right example, where you walk the talk, and there's not just truth, but there's love and grace, when you're that kind of person, they may even make fun of you along the way. Or you may even hear a little bit about it, but every one of them is going to run into some trouble someday in their lives. And what I want you to know, and what business leaders have seen, that those young rich rulers, like they came to Jesus in the night, when they got in trouble, why did that ruler come at night? Because he didn't want to be seen. Because he didn't want to talk about it publicly. But he had an interest. He had a concern. He had some issues that he wanted to talk to Jesus about. When they have trouble, even if they've mocked you, They'll come in the night sometimes. They'll let you know that things are breaking down for them and not working. They're hurt and they're pain. They'll know where to go because we've been caring, we've been loving, we've been real, we've been out of the closet and we're there for them. Well, I remember, now this wasn't business, but I remember when I was, um, I was probably 20 years old. I had recommitted my heart to Jesus. I'd been a prodigal. Most of you have heard that story of how I'd been away from Christ, I came back, wanted to serve him. Well, I'd been hanging out with some guys that were my best friends, and I really loved them. But when I was with them, I did the wrong things. And I was tempted to do things um, that I shouldn't be doing. And I just made this commitment to Jesus. So I said to my best friend, Mark, I said, Mark, here's the deal. I love you, man, but I love Jesus more. And I'm not strong enough to be with you right now. I'm, I'm, cha- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go a different way. And I'll be back, but I can't hang with you for a while. And Mark got mad at me. Now, I'm sure he was hurt, and I didn't mean to hurt him, you know, and he just wanted me to keep doing what we'd always done. And I said, I can't do it, Mark, and, and uh, I'll, I'll be back, I'll be back. But not, not for a while. I gotta get it straightened away here. And then I went and met with some people who loved Jesus and said, hey, I'm your new friend, and we started to hang out. And, and they strengthened me, and they helped me, and they, they built me up. Mark started to call me Rev, and he started to mock me, Reverend, short for Reverend, and hey, preacher man, and I didn't know it was a prophecy at the time, because I didn't know I'd be a preacher, um, but, but uh, man, he, he really put it on me, and, um, and I, you know, what can you do? I would just smile and say, 
all right, okay. Just call me Pastor Stan, you know, and I just go with it. And, and um, we never did get as close as we were. I, I did return to that relationship to try to bless him, but it just wasn't the same. But a few years later, and I'm still talking about that realm of influence you can have. A few years later, Mark called me from Kansas and told me that he'd given his heart to Jesus. And he apologized for making fun of me for those couple of years. And he said, man, when you, when, when you were saying Jesus was the one you were going to serve, it just seemed so weird to me. But I watched you and you were happier. I, I, and, and I thought, man, uh, he's given up me. I know he likes me. And, and I didn't give him up for good. I just gave up some things, you know. And, and he said, I got in all kinds of trouble, man. And I, I was walking. Here's what he told me. He's walking down a street in Kansas thinking my life is messed up. God, if you're real, help me. And it's just a, a little storefront church. He heard some singing in there. It sounds like a movie. And he looked in and he had just prayed to God and he just went into this little church and they talked about Jesus and he gave his heart to Christ that night. And he called me to say, uh, that was a few days later, thanks man, I love you for, for, uh, for showing me the way. Now, I, I don't say that to brag because uh, really, I, I, you know, I, I don't do everything right. But there is a principle that's real and true about being loving and caring and hanging in there even when it may not look like anyone's taking notice. If you want to rearrange things, see, I had to rearrange my life as a college student to focus on, maybe you've got a business that, maybe, maybe it, hasn't been, it hasn't been God's at all. Maybe it's, it's been God's in, a, um, in the best way you've known how. But perhaps you're feeling like, I'd really like to step it up and go to that, that next level of being kingdom-oriented and the steward of the business that God has put in my hands. Well, if, if, if that's your heart, I want you to watch this video. Now, these are some friends in the faith, FCCI. Um, it's the Fellowship of Corporations for Christ International. And I love these guys. They really love Jesus. There's several of them in our church. And man, they really bless me the way they want to just live all out for God with their businesses. Check out this video, and then I have another uh, bit of information about FCCI. There's nothing like being able to share with other people that can truly understand some of the same challenges you're going through. It's grown me as a leader. I never had a mentor as far as business and God. This is the highlight of my week for me. FCCI is just um, an opportunity to come together as business owners, understand each other's issues, pray for each other, intercede for each other, complete each other, grow spiritually together, and have an impact in the marketplace. It's about discipling men and women in what I call life-on-life -life discipleship, where we're investing in people on a day-to-day -day basis in truth and love and prayer and really committing ourselves to honor Him by the way we do business. To have a group of men, and now women, in FCCI that are experienced business people that have been running their successful businesses based on biblical principles, that is phenomenal. The marketplace is a tough place sometimes, and we need that encouragement and that sewing in of brothers and sisters in Christ so that we know that someone else is out there praying for us and thinking about us and supporting us as we're moving through our week. The best way, I think, to move from success to significance is to 
lead your organization like Jesus. We picked up so many great ideas. The speakers were over the top. I mean, it was fantastic. I've really learned to open up and trust God's leadership for my career. FCCI is not about how to run a business better. FCCI is truly about advancing the kingdom for His glory through business. This is not a Bible study group. We're talking about how do we run our companies for Christ. When we come into a life-on-life -life encounter with one another through this group experience, men and women's lives are changed forever. So we're serious about this stuff, right? You think, what do you know about business, Pastor Stan? Well, I know some biblical principles, but I, I can get you to some people who really know. There is a booth out there, and it's the FCCI booth that will answer all your questions. And not only that, we've asked our friends from FCCI, some of them from the church here, to teach a class in the next six weeks. It starts next week at 11 o'clock upstairs, and the class is called, if you're serious about this, Strategic Faith Planning for My Business. It's a video series that they walk through and have some discussions, and you can actually end up learning there, but getting in a small group uh, of, of business persons and really getting serious about God as you move forward and building His kingdom. And I think that would be a great, great blessing. And you know, it's, it's not only FCCI, but you see what I'm saying about revival coming up in this nation in the business place? There's a movement called Generous Giving. I don't know if you've heard of it. But I was in Dallas, Texas a few years ago and shocked at what I was seeing where some billionaires and hundred millionaires, there were a few hundred of them, were sitting in a room together and their peers were standing up saying, how much is enough for you? 20 million? 30 million? Why don't you just take what you need, keep working and from now on give everything to God? Not, you know, not just 10%, not just 50%. You got enough money already, let's be kingdom builders and give everything from here on out to God. And these guys are giving hundreds of millions of dollars to the work of God across the world to, to places that, that are desperate with poverty so that Jesus might be seen. There's a revival going on in the business world. So stop by the FCCI booth and that class, Strategic Faith Planning for My Business, you can see it on the second page inside the bulletin, insert 11 o'clock upstairs next week, it, it will help you reorient everything uh, or, or perhaps even take it to another level if that was already your heart. Fourth thing now, if you're going to make a difference in business and really be a reflection of Christ in this world, you're going to have to be a generous person and help the poor. Jesus was the epitome of generous. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And the Bible talks so much about the poor and their need. Proverbs 28, 27, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. I love the positive orientation of this one. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and He will repay you. Here's some examples, again, from Michael Lindsay's book, Halls of Power. In 1998, David Grizzle, a senior executive from Continental Airlines, 1998, received a significant bonus, but he decided to donate it all to charity. 
and it started uh, a movement among his peers. It caught their attention, it inspired them, and they followed suit. And in all, because of that generous act that he um, did in that moment, Continental executives donated $7 million out of their bonuses to charitable causes in the United States. Joel Manby, you might have heard that name before. He's a great Christian businessman. He used to run a company called Saab, a car company, S-A-A-B. And here's what he said. I drive, this was years ago when he was at the company. I drive a Saturn. I'd rather spend $20,000 and then give $30,000 away than spend $50,000 on a Saab. I don't know how long he worked at Saab, but he, he was there for a bit. Also, I know he's doing really well now. Also, we could afford a second home, but with all these people that are homeless, I, I just don't feel right about it. I'd rather do Habitat for Humanity, where I'm building second homes for others rather than living in one. Now, listen, I don't even have a problem with second homes. Uh, I, I don't, it's, not, it's not that riches are wrong. It's not wrong to have money, but it's wrong for money to have you. The whole point is to be a generous person and give, give, give to build the kingdom. Truett Cathy might be, um, well, at least he's one of the greatest examples of a Christian businessman in our generation. The founder of Chick-fil-A. He started that restaurant business in 1946. And I might add, Chick-fil-A outperforms all the other fast food um, companies. McDonald's, Wendy's, um, they, 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 these guys do better business uh, with the bottom line. But Chick-fil-A and the Kathy family have donated hundreds of millions of dollars to um, college scholarships, character building, the, the, the church, elementary school children, foster homes, and a variety of other philanthropic causes. And at the heart of all this is is Truett Cathy's and, and the Cathy family's desire to serve a higher calling, to serve a higher calling through their business. Well, here's their purpose statement. I just wanted you to see it. From Chick-fil-A. It was when they started and it's still today, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. So how should this idea of stewardship uh, affect our lives as those who have been put in the charge of overseeing these businesses? Colossians 3.23 says this, and I close with this scripture today. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. 